Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. And of course, if this is your first time listening or you've just recently started listening to us, thank you very much for choosing us and putting us in your ears. We're delighted to bring you a conversation today that I had with a rising star in the acting world, the brilliant Agnes O'Casey, who, though born and raised in London, is the great granddaughter of the incredible playwright Sean O'Casey. It's just the best thing to be able to read what your family member thought and felt and have a a kind of like, I guess, a relationship with them in a way. You know, like I feel from reading his plays that he would have liked me because, you know, he like, you know, you know, things like that. I'm like, I feel like I have this relationship with them. I feel really sorry for my other great grandparents because I don't know as much about them. First, though, there's some breaking news today that Gardaí have called in assistant state pathologist Dr Margot Bolster to Tina Satchwell's home in Yall, County Cork, where it is understood that some human remains have been found. You'll remember that Tina Satchwell uh, went missing in March 2017. There are currently two search sites, apparently the house where the 45-year-old used to live in Yall and which Gardaí started searching on Tuesday night after the arrest of a man in his 50s. And the other search site is a privately owned laneway to one side of the house. I've been reading the story in The Examiner and it says that forensic teams were working in shifts up until late last night at the house and began again earlier this morning. They've been clearing and digging in the laneway and detectives have been hacking through over growth and chopping down trees and clearing a section of that laneway. And you'll also remember that up until this week, that this was a missing persons case, but new evidence appears to have prompted Gardy to raise the level of their investigation to that of a murder inquiry. And the, that man in his 50s who was arrested on Tuesday was released on Wednesday without charge. But obviously there's a lot of moving developments in that story and we'll be keeping a close eye on it. I also wanted to look ahead to the elections in Poland on Sunday, which are going to have significant ramifications for the women there who make up 52% of the population. And we know, and we've covered on this podcast, that their rights in Poland have been rolled back, particularly their reproductive rights in recent years. And I was reading an excellent report by Derek Scally in the Irish Times about the elections, which he says are considered by many to be Europe's most important election this year. 
the vote will decide the direction, liberal or illiberal democracy, of this country of 38 million and its place in the EU. Derek wrote that polls suggest the ruling National Conservative Law and Justice PIS party is certain to finish five or six points short of the support needed for an absolute majority. Its hopes of a record third term hinge on uncertain coalition options with smaller parties and polling agencies believe Sunday's election will be decided by the undecided, which make up around 9% of the total electorate, of which the majority are women. And he quoted particularly angry young women like a woman he talked to called Inez at a rally in Lodz, an industrial city in central Poland. And she is a political debutante who has a blunt message for PIS chairman Jaroslav Kaczynski, Jarek to his friends, who is the country's de facto leader. And Inez said at this rally, I want to send a message to a man who hates women. Jarek, your government will be destroyed by women. And Derek wrote that anger over the rollback of women's rights overseen by Kaczynski, could swing an already charged election campaign. Millions of women have attended protest marches and vigils in the last two years since Poland restricted legal abortion to cases of rape, incest or if there's a threat to a woman's life or health. Tightening abortion rules played well with traditional and conservative PIS voters and its allies in the Catholic Church, but Derek writes that each month brings fresh cases of pregnant women dying from complications in hospitals as uncertain medical teams look on afraid to intervene, which of course has big resonance with what we went through in this country. So we'll watch those election results with interest and hope that, as Derek suggests, the undecideds do swing that result in favour of women and in favour of a more liberal regime for Poland. Now, though born and raised in London, rising star of acting Agnes O'Casey is the great-granddaughter of Dublin playwright Sean O'Casey, author of those incredible plays such as The Plough and the Stars, Shadow of a Gunman and Juno and the Paycock. And she also studied at the Lear Academy in Dublin, so her Irish credentials are impeccable. You might have seen her in Ridley Road, where she was brilliant in the series based on the true story of Jewish activists infiltrating Nazi groups in post-war London. Her latest role is in the psychological thriller Lies We Tell, which is set in Ireland in 1864, in which O'Casey plays Maud a young heiress who comes under the guardianship of her uncle, who we soon discover has nefarious reasons for moving into Maud's mansion with his own children. Agnes, or Aggie as she is known, has those great Irish credentials, as I said. So we talked about that heritage and we also talked about the fact that her career is off to a flying start because in addition to Ridley Road and Lies We Tell, she is also featured in the upcoming movie adaptation of Small Things Like These based on Claire Keegan's book. Killian Murphy stars in that and that was adapted for screen by Enda Walsh. She's also in The Miracle Club, which features an all-star cast including Laura Linney, Kathy Bates and Maggie Smith. So we talked about her famous great-grandfather, her desire not to be pigeonholed when it comes to the roles she plays and about her own father's misgivings about her going into the notoriously precarious industry. We had a great chat and I really hope you enjoy it. 
Agnes O'Casey, Aggie O'Casey, as your friends call you, and you're a friend of the Women's Podcast now. You are starring in a brand new movie, Lies We Tell, and it's out tomorrow, Friday the 13th. I hope you're not superstitious. <laughs> no, I know. I was thinking that that was a bit of a scary move. But I guess... Yeah, well, it's a bit of a scary movie, if you ask me. <laughs> well, exactly. And it's coming out with all the other scary movies. I think like Saw and Halloween and stuff. We were like, God, we've got scary movie competition <laughs> big time. And it is, it is quite a dark coming-of-age film. It's set in 1864. Tell us a bit about the film and what people can expect. I watched it the other day and I just really, really loved it. And your performance is quite amazing. But tell us about the story of Lies We Tell. So it's set in 1864 when the book was written, based on a book by Sheridan Le Fanu called Uncle Silas. And the concept is basically about what happens when the people who are meant to protect you the most are out to get you. And it's a young heiress whose uncle, who she's never met, moves in and brings her cousins. And she's kind of really excited about this new um, prospect of family because she's grown up quite isolated and... He slowly starts to usurp her, and it's a battle of wills. It's um, so even though it's an old um, text, what Elizabeth Gooch, the writer, has done is just like made it such a modern story, and so it feels like the world that we're witnessing is also our world. Like I, I think that it's very um, recognizable. I don't know what you'd feel, but that basic. I'm really proud of it. It's like the writer is a genius essentially what she's done and I and it's thrilling and it's cathartic I hope um yeah it's tricky to talk about it without spoiling anything (laughs) yeah that's true I mean I think it has a lot of things that we discuss on the women's podcast a lot like you know women's empowerment or women being oppressed and then also there's quite a dark I think it's okay to say part of it which is around sexual assault which yeah. is a very very powerful scene which I had to kind of uh, I was watching it on on my laptop I had to pause it for a bit because it's quite harrowing and very well done I thought but yeah it's it's amazing how considering it's such an old story as you say that it actually has resonance much beyond and it feels quite contemporary in a, in a weird way like grappling with things that women unfortunately are still having to deal with today exactly and I think the um the writer was writing in with this thing in mind that there are like four things you can do in the face of abuse of power it's like I hope I get these right now but there's like comply um you know ignore it another one and resist and so she had this idea of like what if Maud just resists at every single juncture you know she like never gives up as a like a a practice and I think that's what makes it kind of amazing to play because I don't know I like when it comes to like fight flight and freeze like I'm a big freezer or you know like it's just kind of amazing to to play someone so determined I guess. That's interesting you say that because it's again going back to the sexual assault in the in the film that idea of uh, the freezing and we read about it and hear about it so much now how how people are supposed to respond when those things happen you know how women are supposed to respond why did they not you know tell anyone why did they not kind of fight back more or whatever and there's still this idea that uh, even in the face of such trauma that you're somehow supposed to have the wherewithal to know how to react which is clearly ridiculous because in that moment you are in that freezing situation exactly. where you which don't is a self-preservation mode 
you know, which is like, it's so dark that that would then be used against you, your own sort of like um, tools to protect yourself. Because that's what we do that when there's no other option, you know, it's, it's, yeah. It's total self-preservation and thinking, what's the, what's the path of least resistance? How can I get through this in order to survive this terrible moment? Um, it's it's really beautifully shot as well. I have to say, to, to for anyone who's going to go and see it, um, it's really atmospheric. It's a psychological thriller, and it's kind of one of those films you watch on the edge of your seat the whole time. Like you're never really comfortable. You're always looking at Mud, as you said, is the name of your character, and she's a very singular kind of self possessed young woman who who is quite, for the time, I'd say, quite ahead of her time in a way, is aware of her agency and her power as an heiress who comes into this big, huge house. Um, it fil- was filmed in Art Gillen House in Balbriggan. I've never been there. But what was it like to be um, to be filming in an actual sort of a place like that? That's It seems like perfect for the story. It's beautiful. And also it was just amazing because like they gave us the castle and we were like we could eat in the cafe it was like it was just so lovely and also it's so atmospheric there are stories you know there are ghost stories about it as well a woman who's always on the beach you know things like that so it was it was it was really fun it's also beautiful because it's by the sea yeah I don't know it's it was it was an amazing space and and uh the like the set designers were so great as well. Considering the budget, like it's actually amazing what they were able to do. Yeah, that's the thing. It's quite a low budget film comparatively, but it doesn't f- feel like that when you're watching it. Like it feels like quite a, you know, yeah, it, it feels very rich and beautifully shot, as I said. Yeah, it's genius. Well, actually, I, as soon as I said it, I was like, no, because I try and not talk about the fact it's low budget because it's great to, for people to not realise and then find that out after. Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. Well, but, I I, um, I didn't realise it until after. I mean, I yeah. watched it and then I was surprised to learn that exactly, I had got the u- biggest budget in the world. Tell us about some of your co-stars because the guy who plays the uh, Maud's uncle, David Wilmot, is a brilliant actor who people will have seen in, in lots of different things. And also... Also, uh, Chris Wally from The Young Offenders is so unrecognisable in it. And he's a good friend of yours. Yeah, so we were, yeah, we were friends before, which is great because like we've got to do some really harrowing things together, which made it much easier. And he is unrecognisable. I cannot wait for people to see it because I reckon, you know, people might not put the two and two together. He's so different. Definitely not. I, I, you wouldn't know it was him. He's genius. He's one of the best actors I know. He's just so incredible. And it was so fun getting to do those scenes with him. Like, especially um, scenes that... Because he's, like, has to sort of try and woo her, but Riz, like, really doesn't like her. And so... And she's sort of, like, a peculiar thing. Like, the, the scenes between them are, are, are... Like, especially the less dark ones were really funny to have to do. Because something about Maud that you, you say, like, she is ahead of her time for the period but I think that's because she's been brought up with just her dad and she's been given like a lot of freedom in terms of like total access to the library and all right this is also a time where women weren't allowed to read in their head because they might have a private thought with a book and that's kind of like uncontrollable so she's been given the reins in a way that no one else has and she's also been very isolated in a way that she's enjoyed I think you know she really enjoys her own headspace but I think that that sort of saves her from the male gaze she doesn't know how to perform 
femininity or womanhood in the same way that a lot of women would have been trained to. Yeah, she just doesn't have that uh, sensibility. Yeah, exactly, which is so fun to play because I'd only... And I've really enjoyed the other roles I've played, but they've all been quite, like, glamorous or, like, meant to be aesthetically beautiful, which is, like, kind of fun in its own way, but also a bit terrifying. Um, Whereas it's fun to just, like, fully be given the reins to just be a bit peculiar. Now, we talked about the castle and it being filmed in Ireland, um, but obviously, uh, even though everyone's going to hear your accent and think, Aggie, she's totally English, you're very much uh, linked to Ireland in a very big way. Um, you are the great-granddaughter of the incredible genius Sean O'Casey. Um, and what's amazing listening and hearing about your story is that your grandmother, Siobhan, who's still very much with us, who was Sean O'Casey's daughter, uh, used to bring you to Dublin to see his plays from a very early age. So tell us about growing up with that legacy and coming to Dublin throughout your childhood to see your great-grandfather's words on stage. I mean, I guess it was the most amazing gift of my life because I'd be living a very normal life in London and I I don't remember the what I thought the fact, but Shiv would take me and it would be like this incredible world of this, my great-granddad who'd created these plays and I loved them so much. Um... It was, I mean, and, and then throughout my life, it's it's changed in a really lovely way. Like, it's just the best thing to be able to read what your family member thought and felt and have a, a kind of, like, I guess, a relationship with them in a way. You know, like, I feel from reading his plays that he would have liked me because, you know, he liked, you know, <laughs> you know things like that. I'm like, I feel like I have this relationship with him. I feel really sorry for my other great-grandparents because I don't know as much about them. But um, it's just been, it's it's been the best. And I mean, my grandma sort of like brought me up with my parents as well. And and it's very interlinked in our relationship and and she's just the best. So someone asked me like, oh, what do you think you'd do if Sean O'Casey wasn't your great granddad? And I was like, I actually like, they're so interlinked. My life and that is so interlinked that I, I, I have no idea what my life would be, you know. And do you remember as a young girl going to see the plays like do you remember the first time or do you remember what effect his words had on because what I always think about Sean O'Casey is it's incredible when you think about it. he was writing he was writing as it was happening really the this sort of this, the nation building history of this country that that and he was doing it in real time you know it's incredible when you think of those plays they were so fresh from you know 1916 or whatever Planned Stars and Shadow of a Gunman it was so important that he was there to document and to to kind of really put the magnifying glass on what, what this country was going through. As a, as a girl, were, were you conscious of that aspect of it? Was it more this person who wrote these words, I'm related, and as you got older, you kind of started to understand the significance? I think I didn't understand the significance of them being put on at the time. I definitely, I understood the stories, but really, I guess the first time I saw it when I was six... The thing that stood out to me the most it was Shadow of a Gunman, it was Minnie Powell. And like the love scene between the two of them at the beginning, I was like, oh my God, this is the best thing in the world. Like, I have to do this. I remember that feeling. And then her um, running down the stairs with the suitcase at the end. I, like, it, it was more like I was like invested in her character rather than understand, you know, like I guess I couldn't have understood. And then as I got older, because they're doing the plays at the moment. Druid are doing yeah. three plays. And they did them in um, Belfast. And the, it was like a really different, like really 
amazing reception. Like people were in bits over Juno. And I think there's something about remembering what it might be like when conflict is is more in in your present, what that might mean to watch those plays. Like it it must have been incredible. Because they literally caused riots. I mean, I remember talking to, um, I think uh, when I was talking to Sinead O'Connor, Beautiful Sinead, uh, about actually even mentioned um, Shona Casey's plays that that's what art should do. Art should have the power to cause riots and to actually to cause upheaval like that. That's what art should be. And that's what he did. I mean, literally causing riots on the streets of Dublin and in the Abbey with Yates having to go on the stage and calm everyone down. I mean, it's an incredibly powerful thing to do as an artist. Exactly. And I feel like I was actually thinking about this in regards to Sinead um, when she passed is feel like it's so easy as an artist to like conform and forget what you're meant to do you know she ne- definitely never forgot thank goodness and we're all the better for it it's just so sad we haven't got more of her amazing art um, just going back to your great grandfather um this being the women's podcast we definitely have to pay tribute to him um because he was such a massive supporter of women in Ireland he was ahead of his time. He was a, a, a massive feminist. Um, and the documentary that was made by your grandmother, Siobhan, I think it was called Under a Coloured Cap. And she talks about his concern, or the hold the Catholic Church had on women here in the 40s, 50s, and how he wrote to loads of women over the years Um your grandmother found letters from one woman in particular whose child was taken away from her and another woman who was made to take a vow of chastity by a bishop in England. And he also, again, so ahead of his time, thought abortion should be the woman's decision and health and schools should be free to people. So he was this amazingly free thinker and quite modern in in the views that he held. So are you uh, very proud of him in that aspect also? Because when I heard all about that, I was like, what a man, you know, what an amazing person. Exactly. I'm so proud. It's like the most incredible thing. He was such a free thinker. And you can see it in my grandma. Like, she's just the most amazing woman. And that's just, like, from a personal level, it's been amazing to be brought up in that, like, environment of that, like, um, legacy of of feminism and, and... socialism it's incredible and O'Casey isn't your actual name but that's the name you took for for stage reasons was that always going to be the case do you think I mean is it important to you to 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 have that name out there and yeah I mean I thought of changing it before even um and then the stage name was a great way of like oh I can sort of do both because when my grandma's brother passed away I had this feeling of the name dying out or like worried about that because there's a lot of girls in our family and so a lot of women are getting married and changing their names um so I was like okay which why are they doing that on a separate note Aggie why are they changing their names you don't have to do that you know no I know but um I guess still convention isn't it I guess yeah and also you know like not anymore but I've dated guys who've been like no no you'd be taking my name if you got married what but you're only what age are you 27 yeah, I mean, it's amazing to me that that guys of that of your age and generation would still be thinking that that's something that the woman has to do. It's wild. Are you not embarrassed? <laughs> yeah, I hope you said that to them at the time. Did you? I can't really remember. I was, I think I was twenty, so I, I doubt they said something that cool. But I remember being pretty horrified. <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Your great-grandfather famously sort of left Ireland, as a lot of artists did. And that's why you're in London. He made his life there. But you came back to Dublin to study at the Lear Academy. And was that interesting as a cultural thing to come back as this person who had all these Irish links and probably felt very much in themselves Irish, but then coming to Dublin was it a bit of a rude awakening as well and discovering it was about exa- Irishness in a different exactly way? It was exactly that. Because <laughs> it's so embarrassing to say, but also I guess like this is probably the experience people who have Irish relatives feel this a lot. I really felt <laughs> very connected. And I, you know, I think I would have almost been like, yeah, I'm, I'm Irish. And then you mm-hmm. come over to Dublin and, and there's just like so many cultural references. Like, I just realised slowly like, oh my God, I'm so, I'm such a Brit. It's, and that is a horrible <laughs> realisation, but that is just the truth. And like I, like, I don't have, like, I remember a, a joke being made about nuns and everyone like absolutely erupting into laughter and me being like, Oh, there's like a there's there's a catharsis around the Catholic Church that I don't need because I wasn't raised Catholic, you know. It was it was a definitely a rude awakening would be how I would call it. And so many funny things happening. Like I remember once saying, Oh my like how much I love a bath and someone being like, That's such a Protestant thing. Me being like, No, I don't want to be that's so unfair. But yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I can imagine. So you had to sort of wrestle with your inner Brit and your inner English person, even though, but I'm sure you reconciled it and, and it, uh, it was it was good. You probably became more Irish having spent time here. Yeah, totally. Did, but um, did you retrace? Did you retrace any of your great grandfather's steps? By the way, because I um I live in North Strand and I think he lived not far from there. Um, at one point, uh, and I have a book about Dublin where somebody goes to visit him. It's it's fascinating. He was it was an incredible person. Did you ever go to anywhere where he used to live or anything like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I've got like pictures through the years, like all of me through like awkward teen stages posing outside his different houses. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You have only worked with women directors so far, really, because you, you're only not long into your career, right? I mean, you had the whole pandemic which interrupted. And I know you were about, you were going to play Minnie in Shadow of a Gunman, which would have been amazing in the gate, and that got interrupted because of the pandemic. Um what has it been like so far? Because the Ridley Road is your other big role. And that kind of came around at the same time as Lies We Tell, I think. So, yeah. um, yes, you've just worked with women directors so far. How has that been? I suppose you've nothing It's been the best. Compa- <laughs> <laughs> I just love women. It's just great to work with women. I, like, I'm so glad that that's been my experience. And also, I think that, like, it was always women that gave me the jobs. I, f- I, I feel like... It's women that have seen the potential in me rather than men, you know. Um, And Ridley Road was an amazing thing because it was like all women, producer, writer, director. 
and like everyone worked so well together and like tricky conversations had to be had like it wasn't just like because I feel like there's I was talking to someone there was an assumption that it's just all really nice and everyone's just being really it's not like that like it's just like it just works really well I don't know I think it's just it's just the best I actually did work with you know I've I've I have worked with male directors before in the Lear but in terms of my professional career yeah, it's, it's, it's been all women. And uh, Uncle Silas, sorry, Lies We Tell was a POV scheme that was especially about female talent. So basically everyone on set was a woman. And that was amazing. It was like a special atmosphere that comes with that. Lovely. Um, you did a very good interview with Shilpa Ganetra. I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago for the Irish Times. And I'm just going to refer back to it because I thought this is very interesting. She was talking about the particular you being quite attuned to the difficulties you face as a non-heterosexual female in an industry that's framed for the heterosexual male. And you were talking about that different parts of you that you're still trying to figure out. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? I thought that was very interesting. Um, as a young woman growing up today where, you know, things are a lot more fluid and a lot more than than it would have been when I was growing up so yeah well I think I, I, that brings me right back to that time as well basically I think because I'm quite femme presenting I the only things that I was being considered for were like very uh, heterosexual stories and I was finding that very um frustrating because I felt like there was this whole element of my identity that was going to totally unexplored and I don't like in my work I don't think I hope that won't be the case now but it still happens and as you know with, with femme presenting women you just have to constantly come out again and again and again it's kind of exhausting and then um it's a strange um it's this yeah I guess it's still a strange industry for that like but I haven't really come across much, um, you know, biphobia or anything like that in the industry. It's, it's, just, it's just still very heterosexual stories, I think, even now. Yeah, and also do you think as, you know, when you say femme presenting or just as an attractive young woman, like there's certain <laughs> expectations of roles that you play or, you know, putting you in a, in a box or pigeonholing you uh, uh, in that way? That was it. I think I felt very pigeonholed because I was also like, in the press a lot of the time and I was arriving to like PR put together shoots and I'd be given like a flowery dress and I I felt like I was sort of like being put into a mould of all the other like beautiful actresses that have come before me. I literally felt like I was like stepping into a costume um, which was really freaking me out, making me feel quite claustrophobic and like because I, I, all of the, like all of the actresses that I no and love I was like well they're they're so they're so gorgeous and I really but that is not who I am and that's sort of like it was I've had a lot of friends who've experienced the same like when you're first in the public eye it's kind of terrifying because you're it's a blank slate no one knows you and you and I guess what is maybe more desired is for you to look a particular type of glam photoshopped you know <laughs> Yeah, I, I say I imagine as you move through your career, you're going to kind of be someone who resists that, and and as you get more, you know, agency and autonomy and and power in in your own, you know, and more roles behind you. That like I always look at someone like Jessie Buckley, another sort of an Irish person who just when I see her on the red carpet or I see her, it's very clear she's made her own decisions about how she's presenting herself and is not going along necessarily with what might be expected. 
Exactly. I get a lot of freedom when I look at Jessie Buckley, actually. I'm like, oh, this is great. And I love, oh my God, I love the things she wears. So, yeah, exactly that. I think you need to constantly remind yourself because in this industry, it's like, because also I'm such a people pleaser, you do just sort of like think, oh, what's the right thing to do? What's the right thing to do? That's so interesting you say you're a people pleaser. Are you doing much work on that? Because um, I, I was interviewed Daisy Edgar-Jones before. I don't know if you know Daisy, um, but so you'd be of a similar vintage to her. And she talked about work, doing work on that and trying to fix that in herself. Is that something you're acutely conscious of in your in your personality? Oh, yeah, it's a lifelong mission, I guess. I'm getting better <laughs> at it now. Um, but oh, totally like, you know, I'd run around London because by mistake I'd made a few plans with different people. I'd be like, okay, no, we have to. And it just, it's an impulse, isn't it? That's the problem. Because you're trying to work on it and then something happens. You're like, <gasps> but I feel like, I feel like I'm getting better at it now. And funny, I do think, do you think it's some a kind of a particularly female thing? Definitely. Definitely. It just... It, it just is. Like, I would have male friends that would be like, why are you doing that? Like, I actually don't understand. Or like, why wouldn't you just say you don't want to do that? It's literally like, they don't understand why. Because you're just raised to be accommodating to people, even in a really great liberal family. Like, I don't mean that against my parents or anything. It's just, you know, the external world, I guess. But also at school, like, I went to a really cool school, but then there were times where we were like, sat down and told not to wear certain things. I remember in our eight, like, religious education, being told not to wear two short skirts because, you know, that was asking for it. Kind of, like, literally, things like that, you know. Yeah, and those things go in. They're, you're just socialised and they go in on the kind of subconscious level, don't they? And they emerge in different ways in how you behave. It's just so annoying. I think there's something so exhausting about being a woman because you've just got so much to unlearn. You're like, Christ, and now there's more and more and more. <laughs> And I thought when you guys were coming up in your 20s that it would be all sorted. You know, in the Barbie movie where they think everything is sorted in the real world, yes. you know, but it's, it kind of has to keep being unlearned, I think, continually. It's a, it's a, it's never going to end, is it? No, no, I don't. Well, I mean, hopefully one day. It's getting it better now. It's and like my little sister's around. generation, I feel like is great. I'm really, I have a lot of hope for them. What did your family think uh, when you were going to go on the stage, was there anybody going, oh, no, don't do it, given, you know, you're a very creative family, it's it's in the, it's in the blood, it's in everything, but were there other people going, oh, can she not just have a normal career? Can she not be an accountant? I know, my dad, he was like, Aggie, you are relatively academic, like, you could actually have a normal job, like, what are you doing? He's like, please. I think because my family are creative, they know what it's like, they were like, don't be so silly, like, please do that. The day I got into the Lear, my dad was like, oh, I was just really hoping you'd never get in. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> so great. But now, you know, he was just protecting me and now it's okay, you know, it's, it's gone fine. You know, obviously, there's, there's all sorts of ups and downs and stuff, but it's gone okay. Now he's relaxed and he's all proud. But at the beginning, he was really? like, oh, please do something normal. Now, we're, we're here to talk about Lies We Tell, which everyone can watch. As I said, it's out tomorrow, Friday 13th. But you also have two other really big um, projects. Uh, one is The Miracle Club, which is like the most phenomenal cast. Uh, Laura Linney and Kathy Bates and Maggie Smith. Uh, tell us about that first of all, and then talk to me about um, your role in Claire Keegan's uh, Small Things Like These, which I'm very excited to see, which is going to be starring Killian Murphy. But The Miracle Club, first of all, what was it like walking on set with those legends? 
I mean, I was so nervous at first. I remember I arrived in the hotel and someone was like, oh, Maggie's in the garden. Would you like to go and say hello? And I was like, I guess I have to at some point, you know, like, I guess the time is now. And I walked up to her and she just turned around and I was like, hi, I'm Maggie. And she's like, oh, Maggie and Aggie. And then just was like, so warm immediately. And so I felt very comfortable very quickly because they were so nice. And the same with Laura and the same with Kathy. Like, thank God, they were just so normal and funny. So it just became my normal life for six weeks, which was very surreal. Tell us a little bit about that story, because that movie's out now too, isn't it? Yeah. So it's, it's about um, three friends who want to go to Lourdes for their sort of various problems that they have in their lives. And set in the 60s? In, set in the in 60s. Dublin. Yeah. And so they um, enter a talent competition to try and win tickets. As you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and um, Laura Linney's character is like a, a, a character from their past and she arrives and they sort of have to reconcile a lot of guilt that they've been burying. Uh, and my character in particular has carries around a lot of guilt for something she did that she's trying to seek um, like forgiveness for. Um, and then small things like these, uh, which has been adapted by Ender Walsh, the brilliant Ender Walsh, um, by from Claire Keegan's amazing novel. Was that a great uh, gig to get? Killian Murphy stars in it, and you play Killian's mother. <laughs> funnily enough, but in flashbacks, basically. Yeah, it was the best. Like it was actually the best. It was one of the smaller times in set that I've had. It was like I think I was there for like three or four days. The director, Tim, is so funny. The whole set was so warm. I I really, I can't wait to see that as well, actually, because the book is so gorgeous. And, like, I know that Killian and Ender will do something amazing with it. I, I, I cannot wait to see that. And speaking of films you can't wait to see, what, what have you seen recently that you've absolutely loved or who are your role models uh, in, in the industry? I saw The Scrapper. I don't know if you've seen that yet. Oh. It's incredible. It's about this young girl whose mother has died and she's trying to trick social services into thinking that her uncle's there. It's incredible. Go and, like, I, I would I would highly recommend it. It's, like, really heartfelt without being sentimental. Like, it's, like, this perfect balance. I absolutely love that. And actors that you admire, people that you kind of think, OK, I'd like a career like that. Do you know what? I find that question really hard. I don't think I see myself in any of the actors that I love. I'm like, so I can't really imagine a path like theirs, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, which is fine. Like, I always struggle with that question because I've never been like, yes. I mean, like... That's not what motivates you, basically. You haven't got into it for that. It's, it's a different... I think that's it. Exactly. Because like, I, f- I feel like, yeah, I'm constantly, like, sat before interviews being like, let's think about whose queer I might like, because I think I'm going <laughs> like, come on. I mean, like, someone like Tilda Swinton, I think she's, like, uh, her, like, physical command over her body and the sort of, like, total transformation she's made. That's the hope for my career, I guess, is just to be able to play as many different characters as possible. And I think so far that's really happened. My character Dolly in Miracle Club and my is like totally different from Lies We Tell, like couldn't be further away. And I guess that's my hope for the... Because when you're at drama school, it's like this lovely utopia of like anyone can play anything and, and, and that's what the training supports you for. And then you go out into the world and it's like, what's your type? Oh yeah, okay, so you fit this, this and this, this. You have this quality, you're like... 
oh, this wasn't what I trained for. Mm. I have to say, it's quite a, a special talking to you just before you go because of the fact that you are the great granddaughter of Sean O'Casey. And when I back in the day when I was like a teenager, I was in Dublin New Theatre and we once did this, Dublin New Theatre was set on a, in a building on Gardner Street, one of the old tenement buildings that he would have been writing about. So we did a production of Plough in the Stars where each scene it was it was one of those uh, promenade, I think, is the thing where the audience has to go along with you. So the scenes were in the building, and then we walked along the street, and we did up the whole streetscape as if it was the time. And then the the pub scenes were done in a pub called Tony's Pub around the corner. It was all around that area. It was fun. It was amazing, and so I, you know, a very special thing to have been part. Of. But the thing is, I only played a random passerby woman in the Salvation Army. That's all I was. I hadn't got any named role, but just to be part of something like that, to recreate uh, that streetscape of your great grandfather's time, and you know the barricades and all of that. And it was amazing. I, I sometimes wish it had been filmed because I think it was quite a, an amazing. Uh, production of it that hasn't been seen before or since I would absolutely love to have seen that like that's incredible that they changed they, they actually dressed the road and the yeah, like Bessie Burgess was shouting out the window you know the Stop. audience could see where outside it was that's incredible incredible like, yeah and and we were all just teenagers just doing this thing and it felt very important at the time but anyway I suppose it's just that he was such a an important documenter of of yeah, the formation of this of the state really, and and I always think the fact that he went off, and then I know there was those tussles between Yates and Lady Gregory, and I'm not accept you know them not wanting some of the plays that he had, and you know that sort of sense of exile that a lot of again Irish artists have had. So he he just must have been an incredible person to. Um, I know you didn't obviously get to, to meet him, but you have as close as near as you can to have all the stories handed down. And that legacy, the fact that you're back and playing Irish roles. And do you, do you think sometimes if there is a, an afterlife and he's looking down, is he kind of going, well done, Aggie, fair play to you there? Or what do you think? I really hope so. <laughs> I like, yeah, I mean, I hope so. Because it does feel like it's nice to come back. Like I knew I wanted to go to the Lear. I knew I wanted to come back to Dublin because it is so sad. It was the Silver Tassie that was rejected from the Abbey. The Silver Tassie, that's right, yeah. And um, he basically it was getting put on in London, so his work was being accepted elsewhere. So that's when, you know, he moved over. I mean, I really hope so. It's funny, like I, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not sentimental about it. But then I did a reading once with Sebastian Barry, and Sebastian Barry was like, just in passing, was like, oh, your your great granddad would have been really proud of you. And it was so funny because it was so socially not okay at the time. I just burst into tears. <laughs> It was so cringe. I was like, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, this is cool. And then like went to the toilet. <laughs> Thanks, Sebastian. <laughs> oh, that's gorgeous. Um, listen, uh, delighted for you with this role and the fact that, as you said, the role so far in Ridley Road, which we haven't spoken too much about, but that was an amazing TV series as well. Also directed by Lisa Mulcahy, who directed you in Lies We Tell. You have had the chance already to play these very different roles and to, to kind of express yourself in different ways, which hopefully that will continue and you'll be able to continue to kind of yeah, to, to be the actor that you want to be, not the one that the industry is kind of sometimes so often foists upon uh, young women particularly. And it's just been really great to talk to you. So give us a last minute. Why should people go and see you in Lies We Tell and what, what people can expect? Well, I think it's really exciting to see an Irish period drama like this. 
I haven't seen one like this. And I think that like, I mean, I'm so proud of this film and the women that have made it happen, Ruth, the producer, Elizabeth, the writer, like they are so incredible and have worked so hard. And I guess what we, I'm really proud of what we've created. And, and I, I hope that people aren't scared off by the thriller element if they're not, you know, a bit scared of watching scary things because like it's safe, it'll be okay. <laughs> it is cathartic. I think the way that it's made, that it sort of like helps you. My poor mom didn't feel this, but my poor mom was literally inconsolable. But I think that's just because she watched me doing it all, you know. Um, I think that um, it's full of heart. It's like my character Maud isn't like a character I've seen before. There are moments where it's really funny as well. Um, yeah, I, I really hope people go out and, and, and see it. I think. Well, I can highly recommend it. And I'm not the biggest fan of the more scarier uh, thriller movies, but I was engrossed. And I think that that sort of female storyline, the, the idea of a woman who's thwarting all these expectations at every turn is is very compelling. And you do such a wonderful job in it, Aggie. And it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you. And I hope you'll come on again maybe another time when you, for your next role. Anytime. I'd love that. This has been so fun. Thank you. That was Agnes O'Casey there and Lies We Tell is out now. And if you enjoyed this episode and the podcast, please leave us a review or subscribe to the podcast as it really makes a difference to us. The podcast is produced by Suzanne Brennan and by me, Roisin Ingle, with JJ Vernon on sound. Talk to us on social at IT Women's Podcast or email us on the Women's Podcast at irishtimes.com. That's it from me. Mind yourselves and I'll talk to you next time. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.